0: From Rivers-Barden Architects, this is Spork in the Road, a podcast featuring conversations with creative individuals about their path, craft, and passions. In this episode, our resident architects, Joe Rivers and Kevin Barden, visit with Sunny Soper, a spoken word artist from Austin, Texas.
1: You know how they say magic doesn't happen in your comfort zone? find it very unsettling not necessarily in a bad way you know unsettling isn't always bad but sometimes you need to be unsettled i mean the waves unsettle the sand every time the tide comes in you know but the beach is still beautiful
0: since moving back to austin texas less than a decade ago sunny soper has become a strong voice and contributor to austin's spoken word scene Joe and Kevin visited with Sonny to discuss her beginnings in poetry, the importance of editing and reflection, and her advice for budding artists. Here's Joe, followed by Sonny.
2: So I guess just to start off is, uh, when uh, when did you start writing poetry, Sonny?
1: So I started writing poetry. I wrote my first poem October 2010. I was still living in Rhode Island. Um, I had heard rumblings that there was this thing called slam. Uh, I didn't really know what it was. There was one in Providence that happened like on a Wednesday night at 10 o'clock, an hour from my house. And um, so I never did make it to that to find out like what this whole slam thing is. Um, When I moved back to Austin in December 2012, I just kind of was... You know, here I didn't really know what I was gonna do. I didn't really plan on doing anything with poetry per se. I just was, you know, writing it. And then a friend of mine took me to an R and B concert for an artist called Chaz Shepard, and a totally random encounter two of the opening acts happen to be spoken word artists who participate in what's called slam and then after they're set you know and I was like oh my gosh I can do this with all this stuff I write down right so they said come yeah. back next Tuesday and we have a slam so I went back that next Tuesday and I put my name on the list to slam because again I'm thinking that's you know they kept saying open mic and then the slam but I was like the open mic must be for like music or something you know I'm not thinking that that's an open mic for poetry because I'm here to do poetry and that's called slam that's what I know and uh <laughs> so the you know the host says okay we need, <laughs> it was so funny because the host says you need three pieces three minutes and ten seconds each and I know it showed all over my face I was like wait what? <laughs> Cause he just looks at me, he's like, you don't know what you're doing, do you? And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> so my very first time ever reading on on a poem to anyone out loud was a slam. Wow. Yeah. And it it was pretty mind blowing. I so to differentiate, spoken word art. Okay, so slam is a competition of spoken word poetry so the genre is actually spoken word and a lot of people mistake slam for a genre but that's really just a competition of spoken word artistry uh, which is essentially just poems written down and then read out loud that's boom it's spoken word so was it a was it a fish out of water experience
3: performing something that you've just kind of written and and rehearsed in your head for 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 so long
1: Actually, I wrote the poem that I read that night, either that Sunday or Monday prior to the Tuesday reading it, oh, and it wow. was a poem that I wrote. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty it was a poem I wrote specifically to be the first poem I ever read out loud. And I think wow. it's called um oh my gosh, naked, something about being feeling naked because that's what I assumed is that I would feel very naked. And um Oh, Naked Yet Clothed. That's the name
2: of it. Naked Yet Clothed.
1: Yes. And I was shaking so bad. You could hear my voice. I think my curls and my hair were shaking. The paper was definitely shaking and then finding out. And I didn't realize until after I finished my poem that people were holding up scores. Oh, so they were deciding they were putting a numerical value to my poem.
3: Wow. (laughs) Like what?
1: I was—I couldn't even believe it. I, I think I got a pretty good score. It was like a, a twenty-seven something. I don't know. I was terrified.
2: Dang near oh, wow. whispering. <laughs> so. Oh my. Gosh. But you've continued doing this. You—you, you, on some level, you enjoyed it. I enjoy writing and sharing.
1: I'm not necessarily a mm-hmm. competitive person, and the point of competing in a slam is either to win money or win a spot on a team that goes to the national competition. So not being a competitive person, I don't think it's really fair for me to try to get on a slam team when the goal is to win and I don't really care about winning. I just want to share art and be in spaces where people are sharing art. But up until the last couple of years, I've really kind of dived in and, and I'm really you know, behind the scenes involved in several of the, the organizations here in Austin.
3: How, how are you involved um, behind, behind the scenes? Is it a lot of different roles or um, something that you've kind of honed in on something you're really interested in particular behind the scenes? or
1: Well, okay, so the first place I ever read my poem was a place called Neo Soul Poetry Lounge. And mm-hmm. the original founder, Herman Mason, uh, decided he wanted to step away after 12 years and work on some other projects. So as poets, we decided to, con- to uh, create a board, and take Mm. over and keep it going. So um, sitting on that board, working uh, the social media to get the word out and promoting. And then there's another slam here in Austin called our Austin Poetry Slam. And I sit on the board for that one. Um, I run the scorekeeper team, which is uh, called Voice of God, because it's the person (laughs) who takes care of the time. And um, in November 2016, a good friend of mine, Christopher Michael, uh, is a published author, poet. I think he was fourth in the world I'm sorry. Wow. He would like to say in the known universe um, <laughs> last year. But he decided he wanted to start um, a publishing company called 310 Brown Street. Now I do the editing for uh, projects that we've released. And actually, since inception, I've, I've edited all the projects that we've released. Uh, right now we have six releases total. So, uh, and we've got a few in the pipeline right now that we're editing and getting together and getting ready for release. So that's really cool.
2: Wow. That's really exciting.
3: Man, that is so much exciting (laughs) stuff going on. Absolutely. That's so cool. I would think it, it must be just invigorating to be involved in, in all these wonderful, you know, events and, um, behind the scenes with, uh, with the editing and, uh, Do you you find that these experiences influence your own work and what you do for yourself? Is there kind of a conversation that happens between uh, your creativity and and the other things that you're involved with as well?
1: I wouldn't say influenced as much as I would say inspired. I, I get to see a lot of different avenues, a lot of different perspectives on topics that I never really thought about, that it doesn't necessarily influence my work, but it definitely makes me stretch. Right, And sometimes I see things as an editor from with an editor viewpoint that um, seem repetitious when you're reading it in print that I don't realize I do in my own work, like a lot of uh, unnecessary that's or and's, Um, you know, like saying (laughs) I, I had had, you know, things like that, that bother me as an editor that I do in my own work that I didn't even realize I did until I started editing other people's work.
2: That, that's interesting. We uh, uh, Both Kevin and I have sat on some architectural juries for architecture students. And uh, when you're doing that, you have 12 or 15 students presenting their project. And you have, you know, it's, I guess, similar in some ways that you, you have to absorb whatever they're trying to say and understand it. And then figure out kind of what's good and what could be improved with it. You know, but it's, it's amazing how much of that is it's, it helps us design. I find it helps me design of learning how to be uh, not necessarily critical but just objective about what you're seeing and what you're looking at. And it helps give you ideas of how to improve and, and things to watch for in, in our own work too. You know, I, I, think, I think critique is a great, is a great form of improving our own craft.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I still do my own stuff. I have my album that I released. uh, We're coming up on a three year anniversary. It's called For Public Consumption. That album is out there. When I listen to it now, after three years of being involved in the poetry scene and and continuing to grow in my writing, um, I've really noticed a lot of growth in the way I write and uh, the, th- the topics that I choose. Jeff Messier, uh, he was the inspiration for me recording my poetry at all, because he reached out to me one day, he said, Hey, I hear you're doing this spoken word stuff, want to do a a collaboration. And I said, Sure, I've actually got this little piece that would be a great intro for a hip hop album. And I had never ever, I'd never thought about putting it to music. and, And him doing that gave me the inspiration to do my album, which is all spoken word to original hip hop beats our wow. next collaboration is called 666. It's got uh, some heavy guitar in it and it's got that angst and that tension and um and I mean and it, that opened my eyes. I was like, "Oh, I don't, I don't have to relegate my smooth delivery and smooth cadence to a hip hop or R&B type style I can put it to rock who knew you know you never really know where it's gonna take you I just um leave my door open and (laughs) see what comes in (laughs) Just, just a vinyl record pull me out of my sleeve drop your needle in my groove so I can breathe read my liner notes so you can see my contents who made me The list is long, a lot of folks involved. Listen to my songs and hear how I've evolved. Stories of trials and stress and... Tales of love and survival, get up and dance to me. A spiritual revival. A groove that can't be denied, accompanied by a transinducing melody. Everything vibes together harmoniously. Time signature, perfectly on time. Every song you hear uniquely mine and it's all by design. So groove after groove and play after play, hear the words between the lines you need to hear me say, and I have so much to say. All you have to do is step just. just, just, just.
2: So to take a step back, we started with uh, you feeling naked, showing up to the slam poetry. Do you still feel naked? What's it like when you perform nowadays? I mean, how how did that transition happen? How did you get comfortable performing? Um,
1: I don't think I'll ever be comfortable performing. Uh, It's very uncomfortable. And I think that's what I like about it. You know how they say magic doesn't happen in your comfort zone? Um, Mm. I find it very... uh, unsettling. Not necessarily in a bad way. You know, know, unsettling isn't always bad, but sometimes you need to be unsettled. I mean, the waves unsettle the sand every time the tide comes in, you know, but the beach is still beautiful. So it's, Mm. I think it's necessary. Um, I, Got into, uh, I enjoy performing, but I enjoy performing for things like fundraisers for the food bank or um, awareness events for domestic violence or women's rights events. Um, I've done a few speeches. Um, I'd like to try to get into more speaker speechy, kind of maybe motivationally type stuff. Um, Yeah. I think that would be a good time. Uh, And I still do open mics. I still do uh, enjoy hanging out with the poets, and every now and then I end up doing a poem. Um, I still enjoy it. It's still invigorating. It's still terrifying. (laughs) My (laughs) curls still shake, (laughs) you know, and you would think not after memorizing them and performing them and things like that. But um, I try to find spaces where I can use, uh, where I can perform my poems that will touch people in that space. Uh, Like if it's a domestic violence space, I try to do, uh, I have a few poems from my experience with that. Um, I try to do those poems in those spaces. And then, you know, and maybe it'll get one of their pens moving. My favorite compliment is you inspired me to write. That is my favorite compliment, hands down. You know, it's watering the garden, it's creating more poets, you know, because how am I going to eat when I'm, you know, too old to, to work a pen if, if you know, I'm, I mean, soul food, of course, uh, you know, how am I supposed to eat if nobody's oh, yeah. tending the trees anymore, or if no fruit bears from the water, you know, if we stop watering the garden, then we don't have tomatoes for spaghetti. And it's, you know, so it's, it's all cyclical, and it's all necessary. It's the life, the life cycle of, of art.
2: That's a, that's a beautiful compliment. (laughs) I love that compliment.
1: (laughs) I think art is meant to be free. I don't think, I mean, it's not created in a void. And I think a lot of artists get discouraged. There aren't a lot of outlets for, for, you know, artists, especially a lot of artists are introverts you know, right. So it's difficult to go out and find those spaces where you can set your art free, but art is meant to be free, and it's not created in a void. It, every, every pebble you throw in a pond creates a ripple. So every piece of art you put out will create a ripple somewhere. You may never know about it. You may not know. It may not. The ripple may not reach its full manifestation until you're long gone from this earth. But that's why we need to record. We need to write. We need to publish. I mean, the tagline for 310 Brown Street is making poets immortal. Because once it's on that paper and it's released to the world, you are an immortal. hip hop. My inner hip-hop enthusiast is offended Sometimes it seems the whole culture has been offended I can't even turn on the radio, the very fabric has been rendered And I want to get out my sewing kit, it desperately needs to be mended When I listen to BDP and MC Lights, everything in life feels just right when I'm criminal-minded and paper-thin, things just shine, and... and then I hear I'm different. And something about a million-dollar these antics make me lose my mind. You're not different. You're as the same as the repetition of that line. You owe me the oxygen you waste To say that same damn line So many same damn times So
2: you obviously are very supportive in your, in your community Do you find your community in general Is supportive of other, of other artists? Are they supportive of you?
1: Um, I would say so I think you get what you give And I also think that you Get what you recognize um, I see a lot of artists saying things like My friends don't come to my shows My family doesn't buy my art And it's You got to worry about who shows up. These are my life mottos in the art community. Pay attention to who shows up. Pay attention to who doesn't clap when you win. And then disregard all of it and do what you love and forget those who don't love what you do. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, I mean, somebody is going to like what you do. It may not be the people who raised you. It may not be the people you see every day. may not be the people you grew up with. And that can hurt a little bit. But at the same time, they may support you in your endeavor, just not necessarily your output because it's not their thing. But that's what art is all about. It doesn't have to be their thing because it's someone's thing. So you just have to release it and let it find its nest. So I try not to worry too much about support or lack of support. I just continue doing my thing and, and the right people will come to me. And that's just kind of, you know, I think I think we get, as artists, we need validation. So there's a line in an erica Baudu song, she says, I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit. Well, we are. And I think we want that validation. And the easiest, quickest way to get it is from the people in your inner circle. But they may not always be able to offer that validation. So you've got to, you know, make sure that you find places that um, are receptive to what you create.
2: What advice do you have for that that frustrated artist who's in the closet, who has that secret journal, who has that secret sketchbook? Uh, what would you tell someone who's to how to follow that their passion in life?
1: Share. Don't be, uh, don't find yourself lost within yourself. You have to be on the scene to be seen. No one's gonna know you have art if you don't tell them about it. Share your work, share your work, share yourself, be present, support other people doing the things you like to do until you're brave enough to share your own. Um, Sharing your art is rebellion. It is rebellion in a world that's cutting funding for arts programs, in a world that's um, turning art into a cookie cutter situation. When you look at some of these music genres, it's very cookie cutter. It's a rebellion to be unique. It's a rebellion to be yourself and people may not see your vision right now, but 10 years down the road, you never know. There are other people who are just as scared or were at some point and said, you know what? I can write it. I can draw it. I can record it. But if I never share it with anybody, it's just going to stay here with me. And I already know what it says.
2: Man, this has been really great. Thanks so much. This is really inspiring, Sunny.
1: Awesome. Yay, go me. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Thank
3: you so much, Sunny.
0: For more information on Sunny and her poetry, visit SunnySoperPoetry.com. That's S-U-N-N-I-S-O-P-E-R poetry.com. A special thanks goes out to our guests, Sonny, our interviewers extraordinaire, Joe Rivers and Kevin Barden, and to everyone taking some time to listen to the podcast. Just a Vinyl Record and Hip Hop by Sonny Soper from the album For Public Consumption. This episode was written, edited, narrated, produced, and music by Scott Barden. For more information on Rivers Barden Architects, visit riversbarden.com.